Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your coach, your guide on the side. We do what we can on this program to help you and your loved ones grow healthier, happier relationships. And we've got a great show for you today. Now, have you ever been in a situation where you just didn't seem to understand what was going on in the room? For example, I'm sitting there with my teenagers, and they all speak a form of pig Latin. And they're talking about me. And I can pick up about every third word. I can kind of get what they're saying. Oopid stay. Yes. And then I'm like, I'm not oopid stay. Don't be rude. Yay. (laughs) But I don't know the language. So I'm sitting there multiculturally not understanding. You know, at first I thought that you were referring to like um, little acronyms when you speak like LOL. Yeah, they do that too. I don't understand (laughs) that. So on the show today, we're going to get into multicultural relationships. Now, I, that's just me and my teenagers, you know, but parents have forever gone not understanding their teenagers. Even more importantly, what if you married somebody from another country, somebody from another religion or a faith or somebody from another, I don't know, gender? <laughs> what if you had to do that? And we had to then go figure out how to deal with these people, understand their cultures, their mores, their norms, all of these things. Well, we've got a great guest coming on later uh, in the show, Wendy Williams, who grew up in Canada, used to watch videos about uh, her about skiers in Austria and thought someday that'd be fun to go to Austria. Guess what? She went to Austria. She should have come to Salt Lake City. She could have come to Salt Lake City. <laughs> Greatest snow man. on earth. <laughs> and now she lives in Austria. We're going to be talking with her. But before we do that, we've got to get into the funny thing we call the human headlines. Real news that affects real people. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Human headlines. What? <laughs> you really like that theme, don't you? Thank you, Rob. So in this crazy section, we like to talk about the good, the bad, the ugly of the human race. You know, get a feel for what's going on in the headlines and see if we can understand humans a little better. Let's go to the headlines. Who's got the first one? It's every Corvette owner's nightmare. Ooh, Driving what? your beautiful 2002 bright yellow Corvette. I assume it's a convertible. I'd go with no red. Idea. Okay. And you decide, I need to pull over. So I don't crash my beautiful Corvette. I need to text my text my wife. Right. I don't you know. Don't. You do not text while driving. So he pulls over to the yeah. side of the road and he's sending a text when at that moment two men approached, one with a gun, forcing him onto the ground while they hopped into the driver's seat to oh. steal his, his his little baby there. Not good. You know, that is so sad. And that hits home because that was my dream car growing up. A yellow vet? Two thousand two? Uh it was probably more like like 1997, that was kind of like what I thought was cool back then. Oh, my head! I remember the old, uh, it was 1993 ones that were like really long and yeah. triangle-shaped. <laughs> the ones they don't consider a classic. That's, yeah. those, those were nice, though. So these guys are stealing the car. Yeah, it's still, you know, used, probably worth about 20 grand. It's not something you want to see drive see, off stolen. What do you get for pulling over to text? Yeah. Well, there's one problem. What? Instead of the car zooming off, mm-hmm. the guys are just sitting there trying to figure out how to get it started. <laughs> so they wave the gun at him. Hey, how do you start this car? 
<laughs> they don't say, know how to start a car. He says, well, well, you have to push the clutch pedal down. <laughs> They've it's, never... It's, it's a standard transmission. You have to push the clutch. I mean, oh my heavens! Oh, he tells that seriously. The, tells the guys about three or four times. Finally, <laughs> doofus in the passenger seat. Yeah. The the co robber goes, dude. It's a stick shift. <laughs> oh no way! <laughs> they didn't know how to drive a stick shift. Oh so my they, heavens! Uh, so they ended up stealing his phone, his wallet, his keys. Yeah, but, but you he, can't take his pride. But he got to keep the car. <laughs> you can't even drive a stick shift, you loser. Um, oh. Did the kid just like start walking the other way? I'd just, start walking yeah, away. He just walked off. Yeah. So take funny. my car. It's not going anywhere. Seriously, if you can't, you've got to learn to drive a stick if you're going to be stealing cars. But, you know, at that moment when they're like, so how do you start your car? I would have like a moment of being like, hmm, should I? Yeah, what should I you do? You know, just kind of like, would it be good? To lie because you know they're doing a bad thing, yeah. stealing your car. Do you have a minute to teach me how to drive this stick? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, just see him try to get away from the cops oh, with a goodness. stick that he can't. Well, drive. I've always said driving a stick shift is—it's something that once you do it, you tend to evangelize it afterwards. Oh, yeah. of just how fun it, it makes a car a lot more fun. And I've always said you can teach anybody stick and. One afternoon. It's really yeah. not hard. Well, and But, whiplash. you know, these are not the ideal candidates of the no. types of people I want to teach. No. So just so you can go steal more cars? Well, steal exactly. my car. <laughs> Forget everybody else's. I don't want oh, to drive it off of mine. That is so sad. What's ha- See, what's happening to the world? We don't even know how to drive a stick anymore. How are you going to steal if you're not going to put in the time to become a better thief, a better thief. Yeah. Well, not to mention you'll have a boring driving experience for the rest of your life. I mean, given there, if you drive a Lexus LS, yeah, you really don't want to be shifting gears. I get that. You want the luxury experience of just putting it in drive. So you just want a nice Camry, right? No. <laughs> but if you're driving anything short of a really high-end luxury insulated from the world car, it's fun to kind of get in shift gears, get a little power out of that yeah, four is, cylinder. Except you know? it's exhausting. I've had I've had both in the last ten years. The sh- the the automatic is really nice because you get lazy and you just don't have to worry about it. The stick though, tons of power, tons yeah. of fun, tons of work. I was always get home exhausted, Whew. but I drive really fast. Well, it's not like America he doesn't need with, more exercise. <laughs> Matt says that with a little grin on I his drive face. Really fast. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's too bad. So you know, a little uh, lesson out there to all the thieves: learn to drive a stick, or check before you do the heist. Well, this is something. Or to you know, don't steal cars. Think about too, ah, because that's too easy. <laughs> there, there may be a good chance you can drive a stick shift, but then you think about maybe say you have a twenty-year-old son. Yeah. And how embarrassing is it going to be when he finally gets meets the girl of his dreams, yeah. decides to go give her a ride in her car, be a gentleman, yeah. chauffeur her in her car. And it's a little hun- Hyundai with a five-speed, and he goes, oh, uh, I, I can't drive that. Well, <laughs> She'll break up with him. But and then he'll be heartbroken and well, call you. But you know what? It might <laughs> keep him out of crime, too, if you think about oh, it. Goodness. Maybe he won't be stealing cars either. Stick shift. Interesting story. Who's got another little news bit for us? That would be me. Medicine ball. (laughs) Yep. Medicine from Madison. There you go. 
this group of men have been playing a game of tag for 23 years. Holy cow. Mm-hmm. Somebody needs a life. <laughs> like, how do you keep a game of tag going? I mean, eventually you think you just get bored. Well, not to yeah. mention you get tired and finally, you know, around 2 o'clock in the morning, you're like, ah, I curl up on a park bench. I got to sleep here. I don't You got to be it. it so fast. I'll just go tag that guy. He's just sleeping. So what have they been doing? So it started when they were at Gonzaga Preparatory School in Washington. You know, they... Um, were in high school. They just thought it was a lot of fun. Um, but then they kind of stopped, you know, at the end of the school year. They all graduated. Yeah. But then they got together a few years later and was like, you know, that was really fun playing that because it was apparently just really extreme. Did they remember version. who was it? Yes, they did. <laughs> and so, um, you know, they kind of went, you know, this was a lot of fun. And then one of them, who was a first year lawyer, said, you know what? Let's make this a game let's have one month out of the year we continue this game of tag Holy you know so cow. it's not all the time that'd be way too tiring yeah no but if it's one month out of the year that could be really we could fun do that we could for the entire job. month mm-hmm. for the entire month so the lawyers they live all over the country some guys buying a 300 dollars ticket on delta to go fly just to oh, yeah. tag somebody where are you well, going really, daddy daddy's going to play tag <laughs> Get off my back. That's really what happened, you though. You got to feel really ticked off when you don't <laughs> succeed. You're like, man, that cost me $1,000, and I'm still it. My dad's the worst tag player in the entire country. <laughs> so they just go hook up. They show up. They start playing tag. Yeah, so that guy, he drafted a contract where everyone signed did. it, had rules, yeah. you know. Um, but pretty much, it is Bunch super... Bunch of lawyers. <laughs> it's really intense. So, yeah, just um, apparently... The players, they get tagged at work. They get tagged when they're oh in bed. Heavens. They form alliances with each other and fly around the country. Wives are enlisted as spies. So, but your goal would be, it seems like, get in, tag them, get out of town. So, so that involves flying a, your wife in three days in advance to stalk this yeah. guy at work so that you well, know his commuting pattern so that when you fly in the no, next day, you, you can tag him most effectively. Eye. Pretty much. You just hire somebody, a private eye. Well, they do have the rule of no tag max. So, oh, that's that a great too, rule. Exactly. There <laughs> that really is. But do they come stay in town for like a weekend? Well, there was this story of this guy, how he flew... Like, I can't quite remember to where it was. I think it was somewhere on the East Coast. He was, like, in the West, flew out there. And he stayed for an entire weekend in the bushes outside of this guy's apartment. Oh, my heavens. Trying to Are these guys him. married? This is too expensive. <laughs> they are. Well, too time-consuming. And hanging out in the bushes all weekend is a great way to go meet your local police precinct. <laughs> what you are know? you doing out there? <laughs> Playing tag. Yeah, especially some guy dressed up in a you know business suit in his thirties oh, or forties. But you know you gotta love their um, what's the word their stick to itiveness. Yeah, who plays a game that long? Oh, I know it was just so sad. But um, yeah, it's just so the story. Um, like another one is that one of the players went and heard that there was some people like at the other guy's home <laughs> went at 2 a.m sneaked into the garage oh man and found the house door he was open so he had felony trespassing to the yeah. judge know, voyeurism go on and so he's actually <laughs> has, was quoted like oh man i could get arrested they needed to be attorneys so <laughs> just to keep the game so they tiptoed towards the bedroom he burst through the door and flipped on the light and he looked up at his wife who yelled 
run, Brian, run. And he's like, but there was nowhere for Brian There's to run. There's nowhere to go. <laughs> yes. Oh, how fun. Attempted assault charges. <laughs> Okay, now so is that's that's interesting. Is that is that more sick that you're still playing a game of tag twenty something years later? Sounds fun. Or would you guess just being alone with no friends more unhealthy for you? Being alone is more socially acceptable. It's probably more socially because you're not in a bush out in front of a house for two days. I guess it depends. Are your friends the type that would be a sore loser that once they're tagged would press charges? Probably not at 23 years. You know, that might okay. have been in the contract. No pressing charges. <laughs> new study. Check this out. Feeling lonely? New research suggests that you might want to reach out. Not only is your loneliest, loneliness unpleasant, it can also harm your body's immune system. That's because food is such a bad friend. <laughs> food does not take care of you. And it's not even like the weight gain and the heart disease. And what it ends up happening is being alone, according to a study that was just released at the meeting of Society for Personality and Social Psychology, it revealed that people who are lonely experience more reactivation of latent viruses in their systems than the well-connected people do. It's very interesting. So if you're well-connected, you uh, have a lot of your viruses, I guess, remain more dormant, latent. They're not going to kick up. But when you're alone, lonely, boom, you get sick. You see, you could take this as Facebook is helping you be healthy because if you go and you're connected through Facebook. I think it might have something that you you actually have to be there with them. Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think that might have some of it just because maybe it's the sh- way we share our genes. You know, I'm trying mm-hmm. to, you know. You're trying to find something positive. I'm trying to justify the reason for some having so many friends on Facebook. Yeah. So. You know what? Again, you need to cut it off. You need to cut two thirds of your Facebook fans off. I'm just saying. <sighs> okay. But it's easy to be lonely in this crazy world, right? Because nobody gets us. Nobody gets how great we are. Nobody understands that. Your little oddities aren't odd. They're just cute. Like, sure it still doesn't have something to do with food. Because well, I, I can food say that if I, if I they, they say don't eat after 6, but I have to wait till 8 to eat. Because if I don't, if I eat at 6, by about 8 or 9 o'clock, I'm lonely enough. I'm ready to share the company of second dinner. You know, like, wow. you know I, I'm really not that hungry, but I could go upstairs and I could fix some food. That'll take some time. And I could take it downstairs and eat it while I'm watching TV. <laughs> See, Rob, it's always about food and cars, my friend. Yeah. What are we going to do about that? I'm trying to understand your Dry, culture. Uh, fast food. <laughs> You're, take, you, take you to get some fast food. food On today's food show, we're talking culture, right? Multicultural. So I'm trying to figure out, Rob, in our relationship, I'm trying to understand the cars that you love so much. And the food. And I'm trying to speak your language. I want good value from both. You do. Madison, do you think we're ever going to get this from Rob? Are we going to ever understand the complexities of Robert Sanders? You know, I don't know, but maybe after listening to what's coming up, we might have some I know we will. It's good stuff. We've got a great guest coming, Wendy Williams, a lady that grew up uh, in Canada, fell in love with an Austrian, moved to Austria. Skis 20 days a year in the Austrian Alps. You need some, you need like a skiing buddy? She needs I'm a there. ski. She does. She's got her <laughs> skiing buddy, but she's going to teach us the good, the bad, the ugly about um, multicultural relationship. There's a ton of benefits to marrying somebody from another culture. There's a lot of things that are difficult, like 
How do you share? How do you communicate? How do you get into all the hugs and the kisses if you're not a huggy, kissy person because you didn't learn we got a kiss on the cheek and stuff? It's weird. We're talking about it. Oh, that's true because some of those European cultures, your father-in-law, yeah. you got to be like, hey, familia. Familia, kiss me on the cheek. Yeah. But it's it's a big <laughs> deal. And so uh, Wendy's going to walk us through that. We're going to learn a lot about dealing with people from different cultures and especially how it impacts your relationships, how to create a healthy relationship. And remember, it's not just it's not just your country. It's your religion. It could even be your gender. Sometimes our cultures between men and women are quite different as well. We're going to come back with that. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. NASA is testing a new cool technology that will change the way we explore other worlds. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories behind the ideas that shape our future. A giant cone of inner tubes stacked together may someday help cargo or even people land on Mars or other planetary destinations or return to Earth. NASA, which is developing the innovative spacecraft technology, calls it HIAD, Hypersonic Inflatable Aerodynamic Decelerator. A HIAD could allow NASA to send more scientific instruments to distant worlds because it weighs less and can expand from being packed inside a rocket to accommodate larger payloads that can land at higher altitudes. First, engineers need to conquer the challenges of designing a flexible heat shield that can survive the high speed and heat of entry into another atmosphere. That's why the HIAD project is testing high-tech materials and designs in laboratories here on the ground and in flight to demonstrate that an inflatable spacecraft is a real possibility in changing the way we explore other worlds. One of these flight tests, the latest inflatable reentry vehicle experiment, known as IRV-3, is launching this spring from NASA Wallops Flight Facility on Virginia's eastern shore. For the latest on that mission, check out nasa.gov forward slash HIAD. HIAD, it's changing the way we explore other worlds. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Start your morning right by listening to Marcus Smith and the Morning Team. With news, current events, entertainment, and lively conversation, the morning show is here to kickstart your day. The movie will be better than the radio. No, 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 no. The radio is always best. The radio is always best. (laughs) Join Marcus and the team for the morning show. Weekdays at 9 a.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We are just getting into our topic today, multicultural relationships. How do you bridge the gap between, you know, your culture, your ethnicity, your religions? As we're globalizing the world, we're also globalizing our relationships. And our very own producer, Rob Sanders, has put together a little bit with some of his friends about multicultural relationships. Yeah, it's my buddy, uh, Merrill, who uh, came to BYU and met a Korean girl and is happy as can be. They got married a few years ago. So I talked to him on the phone, and uh, here's what he said. Yeah, hi, my name is Merrill, and I married a Korean 
I uh, lived in Korea actually for a couple years doing a service project for my church. And um, after that, came back home, settled down back in California, transferred off to BYU where I met my uh, wife who is from Korea as well. I guess be before I got in this relationship, I had, I had heard a lot of the cons about marrying someone that's not from your uh, the same race as you or from the same area as you or anything. I mean, I guess it used to be a big deal along with like being racist against people who would marry interracially as well. Um, and so I was, I guess I was kind of worried about those things, but when I was dating, I didn't really notice any of them. And I, I actually asked a few other people who had similar relationships, who had married someone who was not native English speaker. They, they didn't tell me anything specifically negative about it. They just said, you know, it's the same as any relationship. Specific things that I heard were not from people who were married, actually. They were from people who had heard stories from someone about getting married to another person and it didn't work out. But the reasons that it, I heard that those kind of relationships didn't work out weren't even related to the fact that they were an interracial marriage. They were just related to the fact that, oh, they didn't really like each other or he was always at work or uh, she ignored him all the time and, and just regular things like that. But I, I never heard someone say, well, they had trouble communicating with each other because of their language. It was more of they just didn't try to communicate with each other. Being married, I don't really see too much different either. It seems I, I can assume that any relationship is going to work the same way. As long as you're communicating with the other person, it doesn't matter if they if, if they speak your English perfectly or not, or if you speak their language perfectly or not. The idea is that you both try to communicate with each other as much as possible so that you know what you're each going for. In the house, we usually speak a combination of, well, she's, she'll speak all Korean and I'll speak mostly English and sometimes I'll use Korean. I have, I have a little over two years of married experience, so I'm not the wisest person to ask, but I'm guessing that it's probably going to be the same with any relationship that you marry someone and you have to communicate with them. As far as having a different culture, the people actually think differently. So to, to an American, we might say, um, hey, this is right. Of course, it seems right. We should do it this way. But to a Korean, oh no of course that's wrong why would we do it that way if you don't know the culture of that area that you're going to be living in that could be a problem M my wife's a lot different from when i first met her she was really korean and very uh, very conservative and very polite and after living with me for two years she's kind of become a little bit more americanized like she'll laugh at some of the jokes that weren't funny and they're still not funny but I guess she can find them funny now then for me also I'm becoming a little bit more calm a little bit more of a calmer person than I used to be before um just ignore the fact that you're an interracial couple and instead just focus on the fact that you're you're a couple and that you have different backgrounds so just lately I remember having an having an argument with her about something that we were talking about I guess after I had said something and she said something and I said something back and then I was thinking wait what are we actually saying we're both saying the exact same thing and I, I had to ask her I'm like oh are you are you trying to say this oh okay that's exactly what I was trying to say why are we arguing I don't know I guess approach it the way you'd approach marrying someone from I don't know maybe New York you'd have to just assume that they're going to talk a little different they're going to have a little bit different culture and think a little bit differently but I mean when you go into a relationship you don't think I need to treat this person differently because they're from this place you just think oh, I just need to be good to this person and every marriage is in some way interracial marriage you're never going to marry someone who's just just like you and I don't really think you'd want to so I really don't think of it especially now as being any different than any other relationship out there that's great insight uh, what, what did you think Rob I mean can you see yourself going out marrying someone from a completely different culture as long as we have a lot of other things in common sure like if they like cars that's a good start <laughs> 
it uh, it seems like they're happy. And it's been fun to watch. I've had so many roommates through college and beyond, you know, trying to save money as a single guy. And so you watch these guys eventually get girlfriends and girlfriends hanging out a lot. And yeah. Next thing you know, they're getting married. He's moving out. And uh, it was no different than any other. The only difference really is where maybe some of my roommates in the past, they'd be hanging out with their girlfriend watching – burn notice or prison break or something. In this case, they might be sitting there watching some horribly acted Japanese crime drama or something. You know, something. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, but I mean, it's, I think that's powerful. I mean, because it's maybe it's just too easy to just assume all things cultural, you know, when you're with somebody. But instead, look how hard he's working to understand hers and how hard she's working to understand his. I mean, yeah. that's that's a key to relationships is how will, hard you're willing to work. And then they, they kind of found some neutral ground where he really wanted to live in the United States. So he agreed they would live right next to LAX. So it'd be really easy. They could get a direct flight home get once out. or twice yeah. a year. And there's good Korean restaurants, Koreatown and places where she can have little elements where she can feel at home, so to speak. That's powerful. Uh, there was a quote I found. Um, it was a rule I found on the internet, a meme somewhere. But it says, "Romance is about celebrate." Or sorry, romance is about celebrating similarities. Marriage is about enduring differences. There you go. And so uh, it's interesting. It, maybe you know some of the excitement wears off, and some things aren't cute anymore. But he's in. It sounds like he's totally in. He wants to make it work, and be you know they're in love. They both couldn't ha- couldn't be happier. Well, Rob, like- I'm going to challenge you. Let's get you to Korea. Yeah, <laughs> let's well, get you a he, flight right now to Korea. Korean almost fluently, and he's okay. lived there for a few. You're years. You're learning I- German. You speak German. Ein bisschen is so good. Not so good, exactly. Not very good, you're German. But, okay, uh, that's what we're going to do. We're going to go ask Don, our boss, if he'll uh, put together some money to send you to Germany. BYU Radio auf Deutschland. <laughs> good stuff. Okay, we're going to come back. When we come back, we're going to be interviewing our uh, expert, Wendy Williams, um, who's written a book on how to uh, merge and create a multicultural love. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Thinking Aloud invites thoughtful thinkers and creators to share their insights into the ideas and art of the world around us. Whether it's music, medicine, sport, science, or literature, Brigham Young University scholars can share eye-opening ideas and stimulating conversation on all. Join our host, Marcus Smith, for discussion and exclusive interviews weekdays at 1.30 and 8.30 Eastern on Sirius XM 143, BYU Radio. This is Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Chuck Hagel, who has been nominated to be the next Secretary of Defense, was met with some stiff criticism today at a Senate confirmation hearing. His vote against the Iraq war troop surge and his stance on Israel were two of the main issues. A five-year-old boy is still being held hostage in Alabama after his captor killed his bus driver late Tuesday. The child has been given access to needed medication, but is still being held in an underground bunker. Shots were fired at an Atlanta school today and two people are injured. One student was hit in the head but is alert and breathing, while a teacher suffered minor injuries but was not shot. The school is on lockdown and a local TV station reports the suspect is in custody. 
Four people are dead after a 30-car pileup this morning outside Detroit. The death toll includes three children. The huge accident required 20 ambulances and could have been caused in part due to snowy conditions. In world news, Syrian regime officials are warning of a surprise response against Israel after Israeli warplanes bombed a research facility yesterday. Top United Nations officials are worried the new escalation could spread the Syrian civil war throughout the region. Iranian authorities are upgrading their nuclear enrichment facility, making the process two to three times faster. The upgraded plant only enriches uranium to 4% purity, which is not weapons grade. French officials are now seeking for peace talks between representatives of the Islamist rebels and the Malayan president after pushing the rebels out of their last major stronghold yesterday. In the financial sector, a Senate vote today confirmed a suspension of the national debt limit, which President Obama has already said he will sign. However, more budget skirmishes are still likely to spring up in Congress with automatic spending cuts scheduled for March. That's the news to now on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. I'm Sam McCall. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. And we're now going to get into our topic. The topic of the day is the, the multicultural love. So what happens in this crazy global world, global economies, when you fall in love with somebody that globally is maybe not from your same world, that's not from your same neighborhood, your same culture, your same country? Well, we've got a person that has an answer on that. Wendy Williams is the author of the book Globalization of Love. She's been married to her husband over 14 years. She's lived in six countries. She's worked for 19 years in these various countries. She currently is married to an Austrian and is a Canadian living in Austria. Wendy Williams, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks, Matt. It's nice to be here. It's good to have you here because... I mean, this idea of we're, we're all different anyway, right? Male, female, husband, wife, American, whatever, South American. I mean, we all have differences culturally, but you, you almost don't think about how big of a deal it would be to our love. But uh, I guess in your experience, there is a difference. Uh, well, definitely. Um, when you think about just on a very basic level, the difference is, in family cultures, you know, the family next door, the family who lives at the others, you know, across town or across country, and just the different ways of doing things and what they consider to be normal. And when you kind of magnify that on a global scale and think how different things can be. And sometimes it's very basic things like, what do you eat for breakfast in the morning? You know, what is the normal breakfast food? Yeah. You know, is it, cere- is it cereal, you know, with cold milk on top? Right. Or do we have a big or meal or, it, yeah. Yeah. Is it a hot meal? Is it a bowl of, of muesli as they eat in the German speaking world, which is a warm type of cereal? Or is it a bowl of rice? You're making me um, hungry, Wendy. And, I'm <laughs> sorry about that. I thought you had your lunch. I know. Now, I thought I should have had a better lunch. But it's, it's something you don't even think about, the meals. Yeah, you don't think about the meals. And food is a big issue in a, in a or can be a big issue in a multicultural relationship. And that's just one kind of fun sure. example. Of course, there are other issues like religion. Uh, if you have a biracial relationship, how that plays itself out and uh, just a, 
traditions and culture throughout the year. How do you practice uh, everyday life? What is your experience? And what are your expectations for a marriage? You know, what, what is the meaning of a marriage? You know, is it between the husband and the wife, two people? Or is it between the two families? Yeah. You know, and does does the husband's mother move in? Oh, oh the boy. Marriage contract has been but it's signed? real. I mean, like, these are all things. And it's interesting. They are so culturally I guess, uh, enculturated. They're such a part of how we think, what we assume, yes. and even, I guess, culturally what love means and, yes. and what, what, how it's found. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like it's, it's more complicated than I think any of us pay attention to, huh? You, you bring up a really good point when you say that our culture is so ingrained in us that we think that what we do and the way we think is normal. That's sort of the basis Mm -hmm. uh, for normal, proper behavior. But of course, everybody around the world thinks the way they do things (laughs) is normal, proper behavior. And so when you have uh, a couple coming together, they meet, they fall in love, and then they start living their lives together. And so it's it's like you have this exotic bird uh, who is suddenly your spouse. Yeah. <laughs> and how do you how do you bring together these two divergent versions of normal and create one family culture out of I it? I love and that. that. It's very interesting. It seems like the bird paradigm is a great paradigm, a, a way to approach it, because with a bird, you wouldn't necessarily expect us to be the same. But with like two humans, we expect a lot, even if we don't see the cultures, huh? We expect that we even we we I mean people in similar uh, cultures or similar um, backgrounds or ethnicities or uh, you know uh, um, financial strata or status. We we assume similarity, um, and yet really that's probably the big human error when it comes to anything in trying to improve a relationship is maybe to not assume similarity and instead try to understand more where you're coming from yes and that's probably one of the the biggest hurdles in a multicultural relationship but also one of the big advantages in a multicultural relationship mm-hmm. because when two people are from different countries they usually know that they're different, right? I'm yeah. from way over here. You're from yeah. way over there. Uh, maybe the language is different. The religion might be different. The culture is different. Maybe they look different. And that often helps the couple going into the relationship. They're sort of prepared for challenges and hurdles. They right. know that they're different. And during the falling in love phase and that very romantic and and fun phase, they they begin to understand that there are differences and that they're going to be facing these differences um, for their entire lives together. And so that kind of helps them a little bit to position themselves. Yeah, because you run into them a little bit more, it seems like, huh? You run into Mm -hmm. the differences, like the breakfast. Or what are some, like like, like you're eating that? Uh, (laughs) Tell me, what are some more that you've seen? Now, as somebody that's, you've been multiculturally relating to your husband for 14, 15, 16 years, whatever, how, how? What do you see? What are what are some more challenges that seem to kind of come up? Well, a, a big issue in um, in any multicultural relationship that where that is bilingual, let's say where there are two languages, is first of all, which language are you speaking with each other? Mm. So th- that means usually one of you is not speaking in your native tongue, right. and and that can be a challenge, right? Oh yeah. And, and if you know your partners. 
native language. That's a, that really helps a lot. Uh, but sometimes you don't know it. And, you know, I always encourage couples to learn at least the basics of their partner's mother tongue, yeah. because through that, they also learn the style of communication. Uh-huh. And so sometimes, you know, in some, some countries uh, and some languages, the language, it's very direct. You know, when, when you ask point. a question, exactly. you a very direct yes or no yes. answer. And, yeah. and in, in other countries, that's considered, oh, that's very impolite. <laughs> you know, you kind of say, oh, well, that's a, a very interesting question. Thank you for bringing that exactly. up. Exactly. However, you know, and, you know, you sort of work your way around the, the, uh, the question that is being asked. And so, so just learning how to communicate in a way uh, that is not offensive to the other person, that can be part of it, or offensive to, you know, the in-laws. Yeah, you know, the culture. Meeting your, yeah, meeting your mother-in-law and you know maybe maybe you can't even speak the language Uh you don't have a common language that you can share together and you just have to smile a lot and nod your head you do you do (laughs) and and they just you know and they'll keep bringing cookies and tea and you have to keep eating them and drinking them (laughs) so true well i i lived abroad i lived in argentina for about for two years and uh, you know, it takes you a while to get the language well enough that you can actually connect and relate to people instead of just the smiling. But I, and then you eventually there's just this magic moment where you start thinking in the language and sleeping. And when you wake up, you've dreamed in the language. And I guess you kind of have known you're there. But I always had a headache at the end of every day. Like and so I wonder, I mean, if all of a sudden this was my my wife and now we're going to speak in her native tongue. And it's new to me. I mean, that could cause a lot of headache. A lot of headaches, exactly. And if you're visiting, for example, if you're visiting your partner's family mm-hmm. or, or out for an evening with their friends and they're nattering away in their native language and you're trying to follow it and yeah. you don't get the jokes because they're making references to comedy or TV shows that you haven't seen uh-huh. because you didn't grow up in that country. They're making a brilliant uh, political repartee about politicians you've never heard of and scandals that you don't know about. Yeah. And so they're making references to an entire entire sort of history and culture that you're very unfamiliar with. So not only are you challenged by the language mm-hmm. itself and the words that you're using, but there's also this difficulty in understanding, you know, what are they talking about? Yeah, like Why history, context. So exactly. Mm-hmm. And then, um, it's, well. you know, it also seems like an interesting thing is, I mean, if it was, if it was, um, if you were diverse ethnically or racially, that it, it sometimes some cultures aren't open to that and aren't and they they kind of get focused too much on the race instead of the human or the yes, relationship yes. does i mean I, i'm assuming yeah. that's a major part of this as well it can be it really it depends on where a biracial couple uh, is living you know there are some parts of the world in parts of the united states in particular where it's it's no big deal it's mm-hmm. such a non issue right. that they don't really need to discuss it but there are a lot of parts of the world and a lot of parts of the united states where it's a huge issue oh i bet and and that it puts a lot of pressure or a lot of, it puts a, a spotlight on the couple yeah and that can create a pressure where they have to learn how to deal with it and you know the as with any challenge in life, a couple may deal with it, choose to deal with it in a different way, and they need to be understanding of each other. You know, some person may, may be very angry and defiant. Some uh, The other partner uh, might be more submissive and try to avoid uh, situations where right. they're going to be in the spotlight. And that... 
can create a bit of a, a wedge between them because they, they might think, well, you're, you know, you're not standing up for us enough or, you know, you're bowing down too much or another person that the partner may say, well, you're making too big a deal of it. Mm-hmm. And so that's also very important that they find a harmonious and, and, and uniform way to kind of deal with it or at least accept their partner's way of dealing with it. And of course, their experiences, uh, depending on uh, which color they are, right. their experiences with their color may be very, very different as well. And sometimes it's hard for the other person to, to yeah. understand that. And it's, it, I mean, it just, no matter whom, you, I mean, no matter who you marry, you're going to run into the the in-laws that may not fully understand you, accept you, or get mm-hmm. you. But then you add on top of that, um, you know, the multicultural, the language, the race differences. Mm-hmm. I mean, really part of, I guess, what this is too is all of our all of us have a job to help our parents better value and appreciate and understand our spouse or the person we're in love with yes exactly so we exactly. almost have to be the one to help them cross the boundary and the barriers that might be there multiculturally instead of just assuming everyone will get it Yes, yeah, and I, I really like that. This is one of the conclusions uh, in the book, actually. After meeting with all of these multicultural couples, I concluded that they are really, they've become ambassadors for world peace because what they have, they need to learn within the relationship is tolerance and acceptance mm. of their partner's differences and their partner's family's differences. And they need to accept that themselves and they teach it to their families and their friends. And so families and friends of multicultural couples start to learn as well. Oh, okay. So my way of doing thing, it, it, things, it's not the only way of doing yeah. things in the world. And they become more tolerant uh, of differences as well. And so there's kind of this neat multiplier effect. Going Love on. it. Yeah. We're talking with um, author Wendy Williams, author of the book Globalization of Love. She's teaching us how, if we're in a multicultural relationship, or if we have friends or family, how we can be better ambassadors Uh, to kind of create more tolerance and acceptance of multicultural relationships and love. We're going to take a break. Uh, When we come back, we're going to get into some more advantages, disadvantages of how we deal with some of these issues of multiculturalism in our own lives. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. A new improvement in electron microscopes is the biggest thing in years. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories of revolutionary ideas, emerging technologies, and the people behind the concepts that shape the future. The electron microscope was invented in the 1930s and has stayed more or less the same for almost 80 years. It looks like that's about to radically change thanks to a breakthrough from the University of Sheffield. Whether it uses light, x-rays, or electrons, microscopes use lenses, and most improvements have been in making those lenses sharper, but the new design doesn't use any kind of lens at all. Because of that, it may see over 100 times better than before. We're talking being able to image as small as one-tenth of a single atom's diameter. It's called electron tychography. A computerized sensor stage gathers scattered electrons passing through the sample, and the reconstructed diffraction wave pattern provides the image. Tychography can image a sample without having to add contrasting dyes to the samples, and it can see through thick containers. So you can watch living organic material on an atomic scale in a way that was impossible before. The inventors are saying that discoveries made possible using this new microscope could revolutionize science as we know it. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. 
Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. Make sure you follow BYU Radio on Twitter for live updates on sports, radio programs, and more. Then tweet us what your thoughts are as you listen to our programs. And don't forget to include us in your live tweeting of any BYU sporting events. Follow us at BYU Radio on Twitter. back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your relationship coach. And today we're coaching you on something that may be impacting your life, whether it's a parent, an in-law, a grandparent, or just somebody you're married with and to. We're talking about multicultural relationships. If you haven't noticed, the world is expanding. We are starting to get and understand and be impacted by all of these other countries in the world, which means they're becoming part of our lives. They might be your son-in-law, your daughter-in-law. They might be your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your spouse. Today, we are trying to understand better how to deal with multicultural relationships and, and take them to the next level, how to truly you know, break through some of the barriers, overcome maybe some of our prejudice, maybe just some of our history, and start sharing our cultures with the people we love. We're talking with Wendy Williams, who's the author of Globalization of Love. Uh, She went out, interviewed a bunch of couples, and uh, has personally been experiencing this, having been married 14 years to a man in Austria, her husband, and she's Canadian. By the way, she's uh, joining us now from Austria. Wendy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks. Good to have you. So, okay, it's, I guess it's complicated. These relationships can be more difficult, but there's, there's still some pretty big advantages to being in a multicultural relationship. What are those? Yeah, well, I think the, the, the one thing that really came through in the interviews with the multicultural couples, and really I've interviewed couples from all over the world, so all kind of, every kind of cultural cross-section. That's and, fascinating. And what I call the, every continental uh, sort of uh, constellation that you can imagine. And, what, of course, one of the, the wonderful advantages of it is there's kind of this sense of high romance, you know? So uh-huh. you, you end up marrying your international man or woman mm-hmm. in history. So how fun is that, right? So that's that was kind of. Uh, I mean, I mean, Wendy, it really does seem like it's kind of more romantic if you're looking for your soulmate. I guess it's one thing to have your soulmate, you know, in your neighborhood that you grew up with. It's another thing to think that your soulmate somewhere on this earth or seven, or seven billion people and you happen to find them somewhere at a museum in Paris. Yeah. What are the chances? <laughs> what are the odds of that? It is romantic. <laughs> that's a big deal. Well, that's definitely part of it. Um, but I think that there's more to it than that, because, of, co- of course, we all have these wonderful butterflies and uh, in our tummy when we meet somebody new and fall in love. Um, but it's also that what happens after that, when you get into sort of the humdrum, you know, business as usual kind of relationship issues, how does a multicultural relationship progress? And it 
and here's the neat thing is that it continues to be very exciting. Mm. Um, part of, part of that of course is because it always continues to be challenging. Um, but it is, it's a lifelong process of learning and learning about your spouse and learning about the world in a different way. And, uh, what I learned from the couples that I interviewed is, is one of the most wonderful advantages of being in a multicultural relationship is that it does open up this new world to you. Um, not just in the geographic sense, but also in your, your way of thinking and looking at the world and understanding the world and kind of getting to that point of recognition where you say what I thought was normal, what I thought, how I thought the world was, isn't really the case. That's only my perspective on the world and that my partner has a completely different perspective. And that's kind of exciting. And that is something that, as I say, it carries on throughout the the relationship. That's a powerful um, thing. You're reframing your context of people and of um, what your options are. And I mean, and I love the idea, too, that we're continuously learning. I mean, the research around continuous learning, willingness to change, stretching yourself, risk versus reward. I mean, those are all things that could be indicators of healthier relationships if you're open to it. And I guess in the multicultural relationship, you kind of have to be. It's just your existence. You do. You do. There's no way around it. That's powerful. (laughs) And if you bring it back to, you know, to this breakfast example that we had earlier on the show, um, you know, sometimes it's, it is something simple about, you know, learning about new foods or uh, just eating new things for breakfast or or lunch or dinner, um, but also learning a new language, traveling to new countries and learning about new religions and seeing the way other people live. Sometimes it's really fun just to to see the type of cars that they drive, Uh the houses that they live in. And to from your partner to learn about the things that they did when they were um, in their childhood or in their teenage years, and what music did they listen to, and what are what were their perceptions of your country when you, you know at that time period? So you know, there's this whole you have these completely separate histories, and when you go back and explore and talk about that, it's really kind of fun. And you, you know, I I love hearing what what my husband has to say when he was 17 years old and I was 17 years old. What were we doing that was similar yeah. and what is different? And it's really quite How a good fascinating. Lab, you know, In any of your research, did you find any couples that where their cultures were at odds or were at war? I mean, that yes, would be fascinating. It does. It, it it absolutely does. And that's a really, um, it's a very unique challenge mm-hmm. that the couples face. And with regard, uh, mostly it's with regard to their families. Yeah. And so that. It, it, it can become very difficult where the family say, might say to their child, well, you're betraying us uh, by, you know, b- b- partnering with the, the enemy, right. so to speak. And, Sleeping with and the enemy. I mean, that's something. a big deal. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it, it can, can be, a, you know, a current political conflict. It can be something that happened 50 years ago or 100 years ago. Um, but, of course, you know, our, our clan loyalties are uh-huh. very strong, and that's that's very understandable. It really seems like, too, that we—this is maybe how we—I mean, globalization's happening. I mean, we're even doing this interview over a Skype line. Um, mm-hmm. So that creates the the power. We have the keys, the tools to get into global communication, and we can learn from each other now. Maybe what we still need is the breakdown of the old ways of thinking that uh, where we kind of label everyone. We've categorized them because you supported this group in World War II, um, and at least mm-hmm. and my dad fought against your group, and or my grandpa fought against your group. I mean, maybe the way we get through this are through these healthier relationships that can show us and it can create these bridges and can show us how to actually appreciate 
all cultures. Yes, and move, moving moving forward into a more peaceful future. And what really enables that, of course, is when a multicultural couple has children. Yeah. Because it doesn't matter uh, what faction the grandparents <laughs> right. come from. When there's when there's a grandchild suddenly in the picture, uh, then a lot of these. Uh, the, the, these grudges. It and, changes and the game, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it rewrites history. It really does, and and uh, in a very positive way. And uh, again, getting back to that theme of of being ambassadors for global peace. That's what's so neat is is multicultural children are truly ambassadors. They're little miniature ambassadors for glo- for, mm-hmm. for world peace uh, because they carry that message and they say to their both to their parents and to their grandparents, you know what? I'm both. So you. You can't speak bad negatively about the other country or culture because that is a part of me. You're speaking badly about yeah. me. And that's really the message that they, they send both to their parents and grandparents. And uh, it, it it really puts things into perspective and thinking, yeah, we, actually, we're all family. Well, that's <laughs> we're all related. I, I've been a divorce mediator and and I've been in so many mediations with couples that are you know breaking it up. And yet it's the same principles would apply that you can't hate your ex without somehow hating a part of your children. I mean, and that's what these children feel is like, I'm great and I love dad and dad's a lot like me. And so how could you be mad at dad and not mad at me? It just creates confusion. So this is this is the way through it, I think, is this open-mindedness towards the good. And, and noticing just noticing a lot of the good advantages and the good things in the relationship instead of just focusing on, or fixating on something from the past. Yes. That may not even be applied or applicable to this relationship presently. Just something that happened during World War II. <laughs> and other historical events. <laughs> or any other historical event on Earth. I think that's I think it's fascinating. Um, tell me what you notice too. I mean, it, it seems like uh religious diversity, um it, it seems like in a way that even might be more complicated. Because, you know, that's connected to the permanence of your God, your where you're going after this earth life. I mean, do, do, do you see a difference between that kind of uh, multicultural approach to life? I mean, was that a was that a more what's the word? Was that a bigger issue when it comes to multicultural issues? It is a big issue. Let's put it that way. It's definitely one of the components of a multicultural relationship, an interfaith relationship, and of course, it can, it can work in in different directions. Um, Firstly, what's um, sort of confusing about an interfaith relationship, at least at the beginning, is that the couple, you know, they don't see it. It's not like a biracial relationship where you say, okay, I see that you're, you know, you look different than I, than I do. Um, You don't necessarily pick up on it. Your friends and family don't necessarily pick up on it immediately. And, but yet religion is something that is in many ways it's even deeper than um than culture because part of it is ingrained in us because of it's it's part of our culture and the mm-hmm. way we grew up but it's all at, at a certain age in life it also becomes a conscientious choice right and so it's something it's a it's a framework for living that the individual uh, has decided is the framework for them when they meet somebody from the, who has a different framework, uh, and that can be very challenging. Oh, and, yeah. and it can work two two ways. I mean, if if the differences are very huge, 
then and the and both partners are very adherent to their own framework, religious framework, then they're not going to couple up anyway. Right, because sure. Because this, this difference. Um, but what, what, what can happen um, is when both partners are in that scenario is that they may, in the end, respect each other and say, well, I understand what, what, what my religion means for me. And so that's what my partner's religion means to them and I can respect that yeah and that can happen it's I wouldn't say it's common but it can happen but what is typically the case in an interfaith partnership is that both partners are a little bit uh, les enfers uh-huh. about their religion you know they're not so so strict about it and that allows them to partner up very easily I like that and then too we, that's you know we're going to come back and, and get into that Wendy because I, I mean I know you've got some great uh secrets to things we should be doing. And I think every one of them applies, whether you're in a multicultural, uh, multi-ethnic you know, ethnic relationship, or just if you're two humans trying to deal with each other, I have a pretty good idea that they're going to all apply. We are talking to Wendy Williams, the author of Globalization of Love. Um, and uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to get into the secrets of success. How do you how do you manage this, uh, these differences in a way that, that feeds us all? You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. KBYU FM HD2 Provo. What do you want to know? Kim Power Stilson has a whole list of things she wants to learn about, and she wants to share it with you. On her show, Talkworthy, she invites you to join her as she interviews expert guests, learning new things along the way. It doesn't matter if the subject is a serious thought provoker or just plain fun. If it's Talkworthy, Kim will cover it. Talkworthy airs Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. This is Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. A Senate confirmation hearing for Chuck Hagel, who has been nominated to take up the Secretary of Defense position, was filled with criticism and tough questions today. Two of the main topics were his vote against the Iraqi troop surge and his stance on Israel. A five-year-old boy is still being held hostage in Alabama after his kidnapper killed his bus driver late Tuesday. The child has been given access to needed medication but is being held in an underground bunker. A 14-year-old student has been wounded by a shooter in an Atlanta school. So far, authorities say the boy is breathing and alert, while a local TV station is reporting that the shooter is in police custody. Four people are dead after a 30-car pileup this morning outside Detroit. The death toll includes three children. The huge accident required 20 ambulances and could have been caused in part due to snowy conditions. In world news, following yesterday's Israeli airstrike on a Syrian research facility, Syrian regime officials are now warning of a potential surprise response. The threat has UN officials concerned that the Syrian civil war could still engulf the region. Defiant Iranian authorities are upgrading their uranium enrichment processes while still dodging international talks about the intentions of the nuclear program in the country. The new process will not be producing <coughs> excuse me, weapons-grade material. 
Sorry. French officials are now seeking for peace talks between representatives of the Islamist rebels and the Malayan president after pushing the rebels out of the last major stronghold yesterday. In financial news, the national debt limit suspension proposed by GOP leaders in the House has now passed in the Senate. President Obama has already signaled he will sign the measure. That's your news to now on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. I'm Sam McCall. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, We have been talking with Wendy Williams, the author of the book Globalization of Love. And Wendy is helping us understand how to grow a relationship when it seems like it would be so much harder because you're coming from different cultures. Um, She's teaching us how to... uh, how to bridge the gap there also has a ton of experience in that she's been in a multicultural relation marriage for 14 years. She currently is a Canadian living in Austria and uh, has just researched a ton of this and talked to a lot of people and is giving us her ideas. Wendy, welcome back to the program. Thank you. It's good to be back. Appreciate you again doing this because I think I, I just think we need it. The world's changing and. Uh, we need to make sure we we can let everyone into our lives to some degree, um, especially when our it's our children bringing people home that we've got to learn to love and understand, or when we fall in love with someone ourselves. What do you think are the keys? I mean, we've talked about some of the benefits, you know, the high romance that kind of is accompanied with these relationships where you're from one country, they're from another. Um, the idea that there's so many new things we can learn that keep things exciting. What are the secrets to success that you found? What breaks through some of the potential problems? <laughs> What's neat about it is get, it's get, it gets back to what you mentioned earlier, that probably anything I say that's going to apply to multicultural relationships will also be relevant for any kind of relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, my I sort of have three key things that, that I advise to any uh, multicultural couple. The first, of course, is to adapt. Uh, and that you have to you have to accept that your partner is from a different culture or country, maybe the language is different, religion. They have different ways of doing things. And y- you can't change a person, uh, at least not completely. Right. And, uh, and so you need to go into the relationship and be ready for this kind of, of, of compromise and adapting. And probably going on a path in life that was a little bit different than what you, you were expecting. And right. really to be ready for that. Yeah, so I mean, you grew up is, in your own culture, yeah. and now all of a sudden you've fallen in love with somebody. You probably need to be open to the fact that life's going to be filled with change. Yes, and either you're going to to their culture or country, mm-hmm. or they're coming to yours. And in both cases, it's going to take uh, a certain degree of, of, of flexibility, uh, probably more so than what would be the case in a monocultural relationship. Right. So that's that's sort of the, the big number one. But what's interesting is the big number two right behind that is don't give up on yourself. And this is also something that happens when two cultures or, or couples from two cultures come together is they tend to, there is the risk at least of adapting too much, trying to integrate completely into the new culture mm. or to, to become like your partner and to, to adapt their kind of culture, cultural norms and values as your own. And that's not going to work either, at least not long term. It might work for a short term um, and it may be a fun experiment, but it's important to maintain the authentic you, the, the you that, 
that you grew up as. Yeah, the traditions, uh, some of the nuance of you or your cultural or, or your culture. I mean, it seems like if I went away to live with my wife in her culture and we kind of adopted and her family was the adopted family because they were the ones there. It seems like you could fairly easily lose yourself, like you're saying. You could even forget who you were if you're not careful. To a certain degree, yes, that is that is the case, particularly, as you say, what what, what I call uh, the imported spouse. So if you were the one who has relocated yeah, and is living in a foreign country. Yeah, I think yeah. that's that's a big point. I mean, because some people maybe would even – be looking for an escape relationship where they could go lose themselves from here or from whatever mm-hmm. culture yeah. you're in. I just want to get away and and go be adopted into another one where I don't have to deal with me or my family or my weirdness. It's It happens. No, exactly. <laughs> it, really, it happens a lot. And it's successful on a short-term basis. Um, but after a while, once, you know, the, the homesickness starts and and really once you're in the new culture and really understanding what it means to, to live there and live by their cultural value system uh, or, to, or to be speaking a language that is not your mother tongue, you know, mm-hmm. day in and day out and what that means. So, of course, it's very, very important. So that was number two. That's Don't big. give up on so, yourself. So adapt is number one. Don't yes. give up on mm-hmm. yourself. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Number two. Yes. What was And what's two. three? And number three is be ready for a lifetime of negotiation, uh, because this is also a big thing in a multicultural relationship, is that you're you're constantly finding this cultural balance between the two partners, you know, and yeah. whether it's the language you speak at home or if you're going to uh, sell, where is the emphasis going to be? Is it this Christmas or is it going to be on Ramadan uh, or what other whatever yeah. other uh, religious or cultural celebrations you have throughout the year? Uh, where is the focus going to be for for the children? How are you going to deal with your family vac- uh, summer vacations and always having to visit uh, your partner's home country and things like that? And I say that it, it there is this constant negotiation going on, but it's, it's I guess it's like um, having children. You know, just when you think you've figured it out, they're going <laughs> to they turn into teenagers. Into phase, right? right, exactly. <laughs> right. And and I think a multicultural relationship is much like uh, that because the partners are changing constantly. Their cultural affiliation to their home culture changes over the course of time. And what I saw in with the couples that I was interviewing is that often, you know, in the 20s and 30s, it's fantastic if you're you have a multicultural uh, partner. It's, you know, uh-huh. it's very romantic. It's very exotic. You can be traveling around the world. You're living in a foreign country um, and all kinds of things are going on that it really is. It creates a fantastic dynamic. But then often once a couple uh, or an individual hits their 40s, their 50s, they start looking home a little bit and thinking, well, you know, where am I going to retire? And mm-hmm. and so it can be that uh, a couple, they may live in one country for 20, 30, even 40 years. And then one day the partner wakes up and, and you know, the, the foreign partner, the imported partner wakes up and says, honey, I want to go home now. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what do you mean? We are at home. You've been here for 40 years, right? Oh, wow. <laughs> And what they mean to say is, I don't want to live here in a foreign country anymore. I want to live in the country where I grew up. And that, and so that's sort of, that's a very dramatic example of what can happen. But you need to have those discussions, don't you? Because I mean, that's a big, because I, I just look at the traditional, you know, view of some spouses where, ah, we're good. We don't need a new house. But in reality, yes. this isn't a new house. This is a new culture i mean do you do you do you feel it's important that 
we we kind of in a way go both ways where we go spend some time in both cultures i don't think it's important to live in both cultures um and i just i think that can be very unsettling unsettling and, and very complicated mm-hmm. it's just a very complex uh, thing to do is to to move between countries however i do think it's important that the partners spend time in each other's countries and that even if it's some far-flung, far-away country that you've never had a desire to go to um, and the weather is really bad and there's no Starbucks, it's still (laughs) important to go there on a regular basis because for two reasons. One is is just to see it yourself, to understand the environment that your partner has come from because then you know what they've left behind in order to be with you. Um, And two, then you also see your partner, how they re how they behave in their home um, environment. And, you know, anybody has been surprised the first time any girl has been taken home by her boyfriend, you know, and and, and is always shocked to see, you know, this, 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 you know, strapping football star Uh go home to mommy and suddenly is asking his mom for milk and cookies and so on. (laughs) Getting tucked in by mom, (laughs) tucked into bed. That's yes. awkward. <laughs> it's, it's a little bit like that. You you sort of see your partner in their in their within their own family mm-hmm. and their family relations and within their friends and even how they interact socially um, in their hometown, for example. And that can be very very enlightening. Um, and you, so you learn a lot about your partner um, and the, the world that they came from, and that helps helps you to understand what it means for your partner when they're living in your country. I I think that's great advice. Is it? Do you get a sense that um, this takes a special kind of couple uh, to do this? I mean, it just—it seems like you'd have to have a lot of openness. Like you'd have to be a very open being to be open to being changed your entire life, um, being open to changing your entire uh, retirement plan. <laughs> Um, (laughs) raising your children in a different culture, in a different, I mean, is it a different type of person or is it what we all should strive to become is whether we do this or not and and have multicultural relationships and marriages, is it something we should all strive to be? Is that open? No, I think it's a it's a very I think it's a personal choice, and I think it's also um, a sort of a choice of coincidence. Mm-hmm. So if it is something that you personally strive for because you're interested um, in you know in an international um, man or woman of mystery, then go for it. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and and that does happen. That that often. Uh, somebody will be fascinated with the culture of a different country. So, you know, they may say, oh, well, well, you know, I always loved skiers and yeah. <laughs> therefore probably ended up with an Austrian. No, but <laughs> some people love the Asian culture, for example. Right. So they, they think, oh, and, you know, so, oh, suddenly they meet somebody from Japan and fall in love and move to Japan or live a Japanese uh, life. And so if, if they want or or people uh, love uh, their Francophiles and they learn French and study French and love uh-huh. everything about uh, France. And then, oh, lo and behold, um, they meet a French man or right. woman. And, you know, so so that can happen. And if, if somebody wants to do that, wonderful, go for it. But if if somebody is not interested, then I wouldn't say that it's, it's a, a, you know, a, yeah. a, a positive path to go on. But what is neat, or what I learned in the interviews, really is that 
multicultural couples tend to be by nature very open people uh, because if they were if they weren't open they wouldn't really have put themselves in a situation right. uh, you know or they wouldn't have continued to pursue a relationship with somebody from another country yeah they would have uh, stayed closer culture. to home they would have stayed closer to the things that yeah. are safer for them i think yeah, you're right you know, they could have said you know nice guy but you know his passport is yeah. all wrong and <laughs> so, he's just our cultures are different it would never work yeah I can't Excuse. pronounce the, his, the <laughs> yeah. name of his home you know his right name or his... <laughs> and i don't like curry so i can't yeah. date the guy that has a lot of curry in his diet um, yeah. I, I think it's I think it's really fascinating. I really do. As somebody that's experienced it, I mean, just how you talked about now you ski twenty days in the Alps. I mean, you mentioned that off air, and you know you always like to ski, and oh, you always you used to love to watch the skiers from Austria, and now you're married to one. That's uh, I think it's beautiful. <laughs> it's that's just great. Well, as a clarification, though, he he was not one of the skiers. No, he was not racing. But in your head, <laughs> as a little profession. teeny girl, teeny a teenager girl, you were probably like, "I no, no, I know you didn't actually connect with that." <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Hey, as we're as we're wrapping it up, Wendy, what's the one thing as you think about this being able to bridge the multicultural relationship and make it healthy and just invigorating and a strong relationship? What would you say is the one thing? The one thing that is the big thing. Well, you know, the one thing that multicultural couples should do is read the globalization of love, right? That's totally. I mean, you got to. <laughs> the one thing. Just, if that's if you want to be happy, right? <laughs> read the book. No, but I think that the, the one thing um, is, is kind of a combination. It's, it's really two things. It's, mm-hmm. it's, one, of course, it's to be, be ready for a lifetime of compromise. You absolutely have to be. And and be ready for a lifetime of compromise with humor. And mm. I think that, and this is what, uh, what comes out very strongly in the book is how, how humor is going to help couples to overcome the barriers that they do face and the challenges that they have throughout the course of their married lives. Wendy Williams. So appreciate you. You can go get Wendy's book, um, globalization of love. It is at amazon.com globalization well, so. of love. Yes. on Facebook or uh, globalizationoflove.com. Awesome. Wendy Williams, so appreciate you. Excellent insight. And uh, we'll be looking for you on the slopes uh, as I'm watching all of the skiers from Austria. Appreciate it. And uh, we're going to take a break, wrap up uh, the show here on the Matt Townsend Show right after this break on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Having a bad hair day? Some math and science may be as useful to you as trying a new brush or styling gel. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories of revolutionary ideas, emerging technologies, and the people behind the concepts that shape the future. How does human hair maintain volume and structure when tied into various forms? Scientists working at the University of Cambridge and University of Warwick believe they have, if you will, untied the factors that determine the shape of the human ponytail. First, they came up with the formula based on the stiffness of individual hair follicles, the average waviness of human hair, gravity, and some other complex physics. Then they calculated the Rapunzel number, a key ratio needed to calculate the effects of gravity on hair relative to its length. Using the ratio, they can predict whether hair in a ponytail will appear fanned out or dive down in a straight vertical drop. Why are scientists interested in studying ponytails? The work may lead companies to create better hair products. The findings could also be applied to bundles of other long filaments, including fiberglass and wool. 
Computer animation specialists could also tap into the research to make the next generation of animated Hollywood movies appear more realistic than ever before. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. Get your business in the game and sponsor Cougar Sports on BYU Radio and BYU TV. For more information, call 801-422-1448 or email corporate support at byu.edu. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. As we're wrapping it up right now, we thought it would be fun bringing on our guest here, Aaron Evans, who uh, is a friend of the show. And Aaron's got an interesting little family history thing, talking about multicultural relationships. So you have a family member that married someone from Slovakia. Yeah, I do. Uh-huh. How did they meet? Um, well, it's kind of a unique experience. Um, I've... I was surprised when I first heard it. You know, everyone always thinks you know, different things when they hear about a, a missionary meeting someone in a different country. But that's how it happened. He uh, served his mission in Slovakia. And uh, in the ward, he served as a leader. And in Europe, there's not many members in the ward. Yeah. There's like probably five or six so members. So a ward is like a church group. A ward it, is like a church group. So he went as, a, as an LDS missionary, went abroad to Slovakia, met— uh, Met, we worked in the church over there, and over there he met just a member of the church, the congregation. Uh huh. And she uh, actually served a mission for the LDS church here as well, and learned English. So oh, it kind of a little swap piece. There was so like he a learned swap Slo- there. What is it? Slovenian? Uh, Slovenian? It's Slovak. I think you just Slovak. say Slovak. I believe. Yeah. So he learned her language. She learned his. Yeah. And then boom, boom. They they, they kind of. I mean, they got to know each other. Then he moved on, and they. They kept in contact after, and it turned into a little bit of a romance thing. And they just got married like two weeks ago. Holy and, cow! Where do yeah. they? I mean, where was the where? Where did they get married? In the London Temple. Did they really? Yeah. So they went over there. Uh-huh. Her family was able to be there. Yeah, that's that's kind of why they did. Is because it's hard to yeah. do the whole uh, international marriage if. As as you talk to him, what are, what are you noticing? What's he saying? Because we just you know we just <laughs> talked to the expert on it, and it's it's wonderful. It's it's kind of romantic. It's this sense of destiny in a way for them because they, you know, they found each other miles away. But yeah. are they? Is it? Is, are they hitting a reality like whoa? This is hard. Her um, families can't even talk. Oh no, she speaks English. <laughs> she speaks English, which kind of breaks the barrier. But her parents don't, and my parents actually went over over there for the wedding. And I haven't really heard too much. I, just, I bet, though, when they were together meeting each other, it yeah. was a lot of translation having to go on, which is hard because you'll want to have family re- reunions and yeah. whatnot. But there'll be different cultural traditions for Christmas and oh, everything yeah. as well, which would kind of make it weird maybe. Or, oh, well, I mean, so. from Slovakia to uh, to the U- is she going to live here in the U.S.? That's the idea. There's just— so much opportunity here, and she speaks English. It's kind of you know a win-win for her if she wants to come here. I think oh, that would totally be great. Wait till she that. like I don't know. Wait till <laughs> she has to deal with our culture. <laughs> I mean, some of our some. It's got to be a shock. In fact, it'd be fascinating to visit with her someday, and just the shock of. I bet she lived here as a missionary years ago, but you know, from a country that I'm sure is probably really stressed financially now and, you know, from Slovakia to wherever she lands in the U.S. is going to be quite the culture shock. What have you noticed as just a brother-in-law? I mean, is it 
Were there a lot of questions like, brother, what are you doing? I mean, there's <laughs> millions of women here in the United States you can marry. Yeah, I I always gave him a hard time. I was like, so you don't like American girls? You know, I, I think they're attractive. There's tons of them. You're, you're yeah. next to BYU. You go to BYU, yeah. he, he, you know, and um, I don't know. He just hit it off with her. They had a lot in common. And he's, you know, he has a unique personality, as do I, as we all do. And he, they just really were right for each other. She's very blunt, direct, like most Europeans yeah. are. And it kind Gets of fit him. It fit him very well. And so... There's a lot of differences, but now that it's all come together, it, it kind of makes sense that it was meant, I, to, meant to be. I think so. it's cool. I mean, I really, I mean, it's, I think it adds a lot of flavor. And, and as somebody that, I mean, I know it adds a lot of complexity, but I meet with people all the time. This morning I met with a couple that, you know, they're from very much the same culture, very much the same neighborhood, same part of Salt Lake City, Utah. They, and they, they're culturally very different. She's one way, he's another. I mean, they, I guess they have similar understandings of economic money, all these kind of things, except the reality is, is none of us have much really uh, – we assume a lot more as we talked about earlier in the show. Yeah. We assume that there's a lot more similarity and maybe this is going to force them to assume difference. Yeah, I'm, there's always a sacrifice and but they're both willing to make that for each other's culture and – ways to live. So it's going to work out, I think. I think it's cool. I really do. Well, wish him the best of luck from us on the Matt Townsend Show. Well, thank you. I really, uh, (laughs) I I think that's the key. And as we wrap up the show and this idea of uh, multicultural, uh, maybe the assumption should just always be that we need to um, get out of ourselves, never assume that we have a clue uh, with the people we're married to. Just because I think I know what my wife wants, you know what I found? Honestly, I don't know. And so I said, instead of assuming I know, maybe I should just go ask her specifically, hey, let's let's talk more about what your needs are. When you say that you don't like me when I do this or you don't like it when I do this, what would that look like? And, and start some conversations. In the end, the key to cross-cultural would be, and to any creation of culture or sharing of feelings and values is going to come through communication. Let's also maybe remember there is one concept that transcends probably all of these cultural issues. That is love. And for me, one of the best definitions of love came from a man named Robert Heinlein, who said that love is a condition in which the happiness of another person is essential to your own, where your goal is to love somebody and serve them and make sure their needs are met. I think no matter what, love is the cross-cultural key. It's the way we transcend everything. So thanks for joining us, folks. We love having you. Uh, As listeners, we couldn't do it without you. Again, we will be back tomorrow with more ideas, more keys to success, and hopefully a leg up on this crazy thing we call life. Thanks for listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. 